uh, to management, which is yeah. one of the mainstays of this station. Yeah, so I think with management, obviously, so the management would be, I mean, things I'm thinking about when I see a patient come in and on the wards is, I guess, the hypoxia in the first instance. I need to manage the oxygen requirements appropriately and make sure I'm on top of that because that will kind of guide everything else. These patients can very quickly become um, quite uncomfortable and combative as well and making the rest of the investigation quite difficult, actually. They're hypoxic because obviously they're acutely uncomfortable and you haven't treated that. So I think making sure they've got you've got a good SATs trays, making sure you've got uh, a good amount of oxygen on, uh, either through a non-rebreathe or if you've you know managed to escalate them further, um, anything more specialist based on that. Um, and then obviously at the same time, you want to think about diuresis. So based on whether they're diuretic naive or not, uh, I always usually put, you know, start with 40 milligrams of furosemide and, and then based on, you can kind of go a bit more aggressive um, if you've got blood pressure for it, but always important to titrate how much furosemide you're giving with the blood pressure. Um, because you don't want it to uh, sort of uh, to crash too quickly in essence so yeah, we, yeah but don't don't feel like you need to trip yourself up here too much you, you can just say i would treat them with iv diuresis uh based on their based on uh and, and keep a close eye on their blood pressure and using a starting dose which is appropriate for them uh based on whether they're diuretic naive or not that's it you don't need to say any more than that yeah, uh, you don't start the same number. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I think you've become find difficult to start saying numbers like forty. Number, yeah, it's probably best to kind of keep it as um as possible. Yeah, um, and then I think also if they're not already on cardiac monitoring, I think good to think about because obviously not all wards are on cardiac monitoring, and you may. I mean, it it won't be immediate to you know get a cardiac monitor for the patient because it just depends on what kind of ward you're on. Um, but I think good to think about kind of I'd want to start thinking again just weave in the fact that you want to start thinking having this patient in, a, in an area where you can facilitate cardiac monitoring yep. because the situation can obviously even though you're trying your best to stabilize it can deteriorate quite rapidly yep. um, and then at this point so I mean once you've you know uh, given them oxygen once you've given them the furosemide I think also important to say that you want to be able to measure the response to that so catheterization is something to, urinary catheterization is important to think about um, once you've kind of treated the immediate issue so I think saying that you'd want to insert a urinary catheter just to be able to have an accurate um, input-output measurement and a good good assessment of the diuresis um, is crucial at this point, actually. So I think that's something that's definitely to add in there. And also, you also should say that you, a catheter to for accurate fluid uh, fluid input-output uh, and to guide your diuresis. And you should say aiming for a negative fluid balance of and really, in patients with acute heart failure, you're aiming for a negative fluid balance of minus a litre. Um, so that's where you should be, your rough aim. Yeah. Um, and anything else you can think of? I mean, in the acute management, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. But I mean, I guess just... Yeah, I suppose the, the other thing, patients with acute pulmonary edema, uh, you can sometimes consider a GTN. GTN. Yeah. Uh, diamorphine used to be used, but it's really, I've never, I've never, I've never used it. And uh, it's not something that I'd really recommend. I'd, I'd really recommend. So I think you just say in oxygen, stabilizing the patient, making sure they're in a patient uh, place of safety, diuresis according to their, um, as guided by their blood pressure, and their fluid input output, which is monitored by a catheter, aim for a negative fluid balance, uh, and uh, possibly a G10 infusion. Um, yeah. And then I think the next most important thing is that you monitor, as you said, you monitor a response. So, and then I'd say continue to uh, 
very carefully monitor the response and continue to review the patient using both fluid input output and subsequent ECG, uh, ABGs to understand whether the patient was improving or not. And this is really, really important in acute pulmonary edema because if they're deteriorating on their current level of care, they may need escalation to, uh, and this way you say, they may need escalation to different forms of therapies such as yep. CPAP or BiPAP, uh, inotropes and ITU. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose the other thing one can have for heart failure is filtration as well. Mm. Um, so those are three things to mention, inotropes, NIV and filtration as the kind of final things one can think of for patients in acute heart failure. Yeah, I think that covers it. I mean, I, um, I guess sometimes patients in, um, I guess if we now want to, I mean, I guess we thought about man the acute management, but that's when you kind of want to start thinking about what's precipitated all of this. And sometimes one thing that would maybe add to the management slightly is if a fast heart rate has uh, precipitated this or a patient suddenly going to AF with a rapid ventricular rate precipitating this, um, which can you know, very commonly happen and it kind of just pushes that their heart doesn't quite take it so well, so they get pushed over into pulmonary edema. Um, then obviously uh, digoxin is the kind of the treatment of choice in the acute setting um, and yeah. you'd, you might want if they you know if they if they offer that information to you I don't know if that level of detail would be there but if they say that you know that you do the ECG and it shows AF with a rate of you know 160 or something yeah. um, then that's quite nice to just add into your management plan along with the diuresis oxygen therapy is that you want to offer digoxin as well so Oh, that's a very good point. It, it, may, it may end up being a combined station where you're managing pulmonary edema and also trying to manage AF at the same time, which, yeah, as, as we can both say, definitely uh, definitely happens. And we'll cover this a bit more in an AF um, knowledge video, but yeah, slowing the patient down in the first instance is very important. And to also know that cardioversion is an option in someone who's not tolerating AF very well. And the AF is a thing that's driving their heart failure. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good, good to know. Um, but yeah, and I think I think you're right, Andy. So that covers a lot of the acute management. I think it's important now to talk about some of the management of uh, more chronic uh, heart failure on the ward. So I think there's two phases. There's one which is managing ongoing diuresis on the ward. And even if you're not asked about it, it's important to talk about this, I think, if you can bring it into your interview. Um, so you might want to say something like, and after, and if they're stabilised, and as they uh, as they become more stable, I want to try and think about uh, uh, more prognostic therapies and managing their managing their ongoing fluid diuresis on the ward. Uh, and I can do this. Uh, I don't necessarily need to do this with a, a flu accurate fluid input output with a catheter. I can think about daily weights and diuresing them according to their diuresing them according to their daily use needs. Uh, and how their daily weights are progressing to try and help them reach uh, a dry weight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that concept of dry weight is it can be um, it's really useful to include. You know, it's essentially their weight when they weren't fluid overloaded. But I think a lot of people. I mean, sometimes you have to look really look back in the notes of people who've had heart failure for ages to try yeah. and establish what that dry weight is. But it is really useful um, because it's not just an arbitrary number. It's actually a goal, a kind of tangible goal that you work your diuresis towards. Yeah. Um, as you know, that's the way that the patient is, you know, in the community and is quite comfortable with and stable on their heart failure medications on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's quite helpful. Yeah. And then so finally, I think the last thing we'll talk about is the medications and the prognostic, uh, prognostic medications. 
Um, so, Nadia, do, do you want to talk a bit about these? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess there's uh, a lot of literature around uh, um, main pillars of heart failure therapies, what we call them. Uh, so in the chronic phase, when your patient is stabilized, I mean, it's possible they may be on some of these medications already, um, but I guess the mainstay is, and the ones you need to know are beta blockers. So bisoprolol is the one we tend to use most commonly. Um, titrated up to, usually up to doses about 10 milligrams, but in very specialist conditions can be higher than that. But I would just, in your in your interview, I would say, you know, titrated up to 10 <laughs> milligrams, yeah. Um, and then sometimes you can, you can, yeah. So I was saying you can maybe split the dose. Sometimes if hypertension is a worry as well, as so having, you know, five milligrams in the morning, five milligrams in the evening. And we start in clinical practice, we often start quite low and kind of titrate, um, titrate upwards, but you can, that doesn't mean you leave someone on, you know, the lowest dose for weeks. Um, you, if, the, if they're tolerating it well, titrating quite rapidly is, is, is acceptable, I think. Um, ACE inhibitors uh, or angiotensin receptor blockers. So uh, um, Ramapril is one that's commonly used in hospital, but it will depend on your hospital's formulary. I would just I would go with the generic um, generic drug class for the interview. I think you can offer sort of one example to show that you know what it is, but I think they won't expect anything beyond that. Um, or, you know, the SAR-10, for example, as an ARB. Um, and then it, this might be a nice point to, uh, I don't know what you think, Barak, but about suggesting that, you know, under specialist guidance, considering something like Entresto um, instead of an ACE inhibitor ARB. So, um, yeah. I think, I think the whole point is the knowledge is to uh, equip people with the knowledge. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, for recently for heart failure, uh, newer medications uh, called Arnie's, uh, they, and an example of this most commonly used one, which most people would have heard of, is Entresto, and that's used instead of an ACE inhibitor or an ARB. So, uh, yeah, so you can say in specialists, so in special, and they use patients who aren't responding well uh, and still have persisting heart persisting heart significant heart failure symptoms um despite uh maximum maximal tolerated ACE inhibitor um and yeah I suppose one other term to try and think about bringing into your chronic heart failure station is trying to understand the patient's NYHI NYHA class so just know there's four NYHA classes one to four uh, and they will refer to different levels of symptoms uh and ability, uh, functional ability with heart failure. Um, so it's a good thing to refer back to. So, yeah. And the other, I guess the other two main drugs are, um, so mineral neurocorticoid receptor antagonists, MRAs, uh, so either spironolactone or clarinone, um, which are also used for heart failure and which are very helpful. Uh, and then finally, the latest um, set of drugs, which have had lots of good data in the last couple of years, which are SGLT2 inhibitors. Um, uh, yeah, which is uh, so dapagliflozin or empagliflozin are the ones we use in clinical practice um, and they don't, the patient doesn't have to be diabetic for you to use these and they've got a very good prognosis, sort of prognostic effect on heart failure using yeah. the data so far. Uh, so just to remind us that prognostic therapies in heart failure are ACE inhibitors or ARBs, um, beta blockers, mineral, mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists such as spironolactone and SGLT2 inhibitors such as dapagliflozin. Those are things that are prognostically uh, prognostic therapies in heart failure, i.e. they improve mortality. So for heart failure patients, they're proven to uh, help them live longer. Uh, and the, the, other the other medications, which uh, diuretics, are not proven to make heart failure patients live longer, but they are there for symptomatic benefit, i.e. they manage their fluid overload. Um, so it's very important to know the difference between uh, the symptomatic medications, which are 
um, purely symptomatic medications, which are frisomide, uh, diuretics, and the prognostic therapies we just discussed. Um, and that's very important. I don't think it's in the realms and remits of a IMT, but just for your knowledge and interest, for some patients with heart failure, there is uh, CRT devices, uh, which can be used for some patients with heart failure. But unless you know about these and when they should be used, I probably wouldn't go down the lines of uh, mentioning it. But if you do know about them, by all means, talk about uh, thinking about whether they would benefit from a CRT device, but uh, yeah. probably beyond the realms of an IMT. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah. About it. Um, Good. So as a reminder, just to recap, so we talked about acute heart failure there. And the most important thing for acute heart failure is, I think, understanding the patient's functional status uh, and escalation escalation plans before you uh, and getting a good handover before you assess acute pulmonary edema. Then using a focused A to E approach, managing hypoxia and, and getting an early blood gas as you go along. Then in terms of management, diuresis, oxygen, accurate fluid input output with a catheter and continual close review uh, on probably an hourly basis um, and thereafter depending on whether they've improved or deteriorated considering the need for uh, NIV inotropes and filtration if they're deteriorating or if they improve thinking about uh, using their daily weights as a way to monitor their progress trying to aim uh, towards a dry, their own dry weight uh, and introducing heart failure prognostic therapies uh, on the ward. Um, and that's, uh, I think, managing acute heart failure and chronic heart failure in a nutshell. Um, yeah, that's probably all you need to know. Good. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.